actually is something very different. And what's interesting about this passage is this passage takes us back again to the book of Matthew. And we have been studying before in the book of Matthew, specifically red letters of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to study today, some consider to be his last red letters before his crucifixion. There's uh, two chapters, chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew, chapter 20 in Matthew, and they are what is called the Olivet Discourse. And what's interesting about them is they're basically answering the questions that were created by the crescendo that was taking place in Jesus Christ with especially the Pharisees. If you take a look at what happened in chapters 21 and and on, there are these very pointed parables that are told, and it ends with these woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and it would go on and it would just talk about what they got wrong. But at the end of that passage, Jesus Christ, I believe, was looking over Jerusalem as he was in the temple, as he was leaving the temple. And this is what he said. And I love this passage. And I love the passion of this passage because this is what Jesus Christ said. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. Here's the reality that's really hard. Often God can so plainly speak His truth to us, and we think it's optional. We live in a world like that, don't we? where we can have a passionate understanding that this is the truth, and the answer that we'll get from somebody else is, well, I hope that's working for you. That's not how I see things. And there is this absolute disregard for the fact that God might actually, out of love for us, at times bring situations together in such a way that He can speak directly to us. And that's what His Word is. His Word is this book that He gave us so that He can speak directly to us. And it reflects His character. His character, we are told that He is immutable, that He cannot change. And so if God cannot change, what else can't change? The Word of God can't change. But we are hearing from people that they think that God's Word is in transition right now. And that it can change. And they're they're trying to say things that can make a change. And, And at this time, Jesus has been speaking the truth and explaining things to people. And they did not like what He was saying. So Jesus Christ says something really interesting. This passage really begins in chapter 21 where he is clearing the temple and he's saying, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And at the end of this time, this is what he says in verses end of 38 and 39. So your house is left to you desolate. Speaking of the temple. Your house is left to you desolate. And why is it desolate? It says this, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
If you were to put a title above this in your Bible, you might want to put down this. Jesus has left the building. Literally. Jesus was leaving the building. He was never going to return to the temple ever again. In fact, when he died on the cross, what happened to the temple? The, the, the curtain was wrenched from top to bottom, and without realizing it at that moment, something very incredible was taking place. The temple was obsolete. It no longer was needed. The system of worship, the system of ritual, everything changed because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That's why we don't celebrate the Passover as a church. We're going to celebrate communion today because communion replaces Passover. Because it's a better Passover, isn't it? So as Jesus is leaving now, he's just basically made this prophecy, and it's really important because you have to understand sometimes the bigger picture. And this is where I got off track. I've always taken a look at chapter 24, and I thought it was just basically giving me signs of the ends of time, and I forgot to tie it to what Jesus Christ was already doing. Context is everything. And so as he's leaving, in verses 1 and 2, he says this, Jesus left the temple and was going away, and one came to point out to him the, the, the building of the temple. And so as Jesus is leaving the temple, basically having said these strong words, his disciples are still very enamored with the temple. The temple was an absolutely beautiful building. They were enamored with it. So as they're leaving, they're just like going, isn't this a beautiful building? Isn't it cool how God had Herod built this? I know it's not completely done yet, but you know when he gets it done, he's going to add some embellishments here and do some of this here. And they're talking about how great this temple is, not realizing the implications of what Jesus Christ has just said. And this is what he said in answer to them being enamored with the building. He answered them, you will see... You see all these, don't you? And then he goes, Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. You know, sometimes we wonder why there had to be the destruction of the temple. Well, because they didn't need it anymore. In the front of my house, in the basement, you can open up this big, thick door, and there's a coal um, bin still in the house. And I've said to Rex more than one time, why don't we just cement it in? We don't need that door there. We don't need that cold air coming in. We don't need that habitat for chipmunks. See, the coal bin's obsolete. Unless you want us to go back to that kind of heat. See, that era is over. And Jesus was saying that something was going to happen to the temple. It's spoken of in the book of Daniel, and we'll be talking about it next week, but he was saying, you need to understand something today, that this building here that you're so enamored with, that I have left, will be destroyed. So his disciples sit him down and go, 
They went to the Mount of Olives. So you have to decide that this was a long trip, okay? So they were probably at the temple. They had to travel through the valley, up the other side, to, to where the, um, the, the Mount of Olives was. It'd be like me traveling from here to the ski jumps. That's probably about the same kind of a distance. So you can about imagine as they're walking, now that Jesus has said this beautiful temple that they are absolutely enamored with, that they can see behind them as they're walking towards the Mount of Olives, you can about imagine they start having some questions. And so when they finally get to the Mount of Olives and they sit down together, the Mount of Olives is an interesting place because the Mount of Olives would have been the place that anybody from where they were from That's usually where they would gather and that would be where the campground was whenever you had the temple festivals and those kinds of things. They were used to hanging out there. And so his disciples came to him and asked him privately two things. Tell us when these things will be. In other words, okay, when are they going to destroy the temple? Okay, been talking about the temple. You said... When are they going to destroy the temple? We want to know what that is. Okay, we want a timeline. We want details. You know. Then there's a second question, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Uh, we want to know the answer to these questions. Now, the interesting thing is, now all of a sudden you're going to read in chapters 24 and 25, and it's all kind of mixed up. Jesus doesn't exactly give the answers like, okay, question number one, here's the answer. Question number two, here's the answer. It's much like they experienced in the Old Testament where they talked about this Messiah that would come that would be king, but he'd also be the suffering there's a mixing of the prophecies together. But Jesus Christ spoke of that. But the interesting thing is, is he starts first by describing some signs that are going to be taking place. Some things that are going to be taking place. And if you jump all the way to verse 8, it says this. All of these are but a beginning of the birth pains. Okay? I've, for some reason, not seen this verse very well. Because when I took a look at all the signs, and there are eight different signs, I always thought that they were signs of the end of time, but they're not. They're just the signs of the times we have to live in. And they're just the beginning. um, The beginning. They're but the beginning. Because I think that sometimes we take a look at this list and we take a look at certain things happening in our world today and we say, Jesus is coming tomorrow. No. No. That's not what these signs tell. In fact, it's interesting. Do you know what these signs really tell us? They really tell us what it's going to be like in the new kingdom. Because you've got to remember, there's something going on here. He's saying, temple worship is over, right? And so you're entering into a new era. Let me tell you what the new era is going to be like. Let me tell you what you're going to be experiencing in this new era. And so starting in verse 4, he lays out eight different signs that are going to be true of this era. And eight different things that when we see them, we should be reminded, oh yeah, we're in this era. The first one is, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and and they will lead many astray. As soon as we had a real Savior, what did we end up with? False prophets, right? 
And they're saying all kinds of crazy things. I, I told you one of the things that they're saying today a lot. They're using a word pro- called progressive. Okay? And they say you have to take a progressive look at theology and realize that God needs to change with the times. And so, although it might say this, it doesn't really mean that anymore. And so they take the plain words of Scripture and they try to change them into something else. There's going to be all different kinds of people that say they're the Christ. You know, in, when we lived in, in um, Broward County in South Florida, there was a guy who lived in Miami and he explained that he was the returned Christ. And he had a big church full of thousands of people that believed he was the Christ. There was nothing about him that anyway was like Jesus Christ. But in his mind, he thought that. And so we need to realize that around us there's going to be all kinds of false religion. And the thing that's a frustrating thing about it is they use the same words as us. And so we've got to be a little bit more inquisitive whenever we have a conversation with anybody anymore. Well, I'm a Christian. What do you mean by Christian? Well, this is what I mean. Well, I'm a disciple of Christ. What do you mean to be a disciple of Christ? We need to know the Word so we know the truth but we also need to realize that we are in this era, this time, where there are going to be false teachers. And yet we get surprised by it. More often than not, we're surprised that there are false teachers. It kind of blows us away. It shouldn't have. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Every time there's a war or some major uprising that kind of divides people into two groups, there is somebody on some television show or in some publication that's pretty sure that one of the people involved in that uprising is the Antichrist. But we just need to understand that the first sign is there's going to be false teachers false christ the second sign is there is going to be war you know as much as as john john um uh from the beatles wanted (laughs) imagine to be the truth it can't be imagine there's no heaven no war there's peace that can't be true Because the one thing the world continues to deny over and over again is the sinful nature of man, okay? The sinful nature of man is always getting in the midst of something. So they'll write a book and they'll talk about how great it would be if we just all got along and we all lived at the same level, which sounds really good, except for there's going to be, the sin nature is going to touch that and some people are going to be greedy and they're not going to share well and other people are going to be lazy and they're going to steal from other people. Right? Even with capitalism, people are freaking out about capitalism today. But the reality is is that 
because of the sin nature, occasionally there's going to be a Ponzi scheme. Because of the sin nature, there is going to be, well, first there were wood barons, and then they switched over to train barons, and then they switched over to oil barons, then they switched over to social media barons. You know, do you see the point? But there's always going to be wars. And, and it says this, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And there's no way you can turn on the TV today. The weather channel makes it, you, you know, we're going to die. You know? There's always something somewhere that is going poorly. It says this, it says, then they will deliver you up to to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. If you became a Christian to be in the popular group, pick the wrong group. There are going to be times that people are just not going to like you and they're going to go, well, they're going to go I don't like you. Well, why? I don't know. There's just something about you I don't like. Do you know what it is? You're the light of the world. And you're exposing their darkness. And they are mad. You're annoying to them. You, you can do things they can't do. They can't be happy and have bad circumstances, but we can And this is going to be a part of the normal, this era that we live in, is that Christians are going to be persecuted. We have it pretty easy here. Although there are times that it doesn't seem like it's as easy anymore, is it? We lost being the popular group, didn't we? And there are times where the first thing you don't want to tell people is what you do. I I went into the store the other day just to rent a van. And the lady's just cussing up a storm. She, I, I, she's saying Jesus' name and God's name, but I don't think she's praying. And all of a sudden, the other guy who I know from renting U-Hauls there before comes into the room and goes to her, oh, you haven't met Pastor Jim yet. He rents all the time. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but we live in a world that turns our Savior's name into another article or an adjective that's a part of how they speak. And yet, we shouldn't be surprised that if they would do that to His name, that they're not going to treat us well. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Just talking about the church. Many will fall away. And sometimes they'll betray each other. Sometimes they'll hate one another. I think I've told you the story before about the lady that cut my hair for years in Florida. And I kept on thinking I need to tell her about Jesus, but it just never would work out until one day it worked out. 
that the shop was a little quieter and there was less extra people there. And she goes, oh, I know about Jesus. I said, oh, you do? Yeah, I used to go to this church over in Hollywood. Oh, that's great. And then she talks about how poorly the church treated her. And the things that they said. And all I could do was cry and say, I am so sorry. We're all kind of messed up. But I'm so sorry that that was your experience. But we need to understand that one of the signs that we need to be reminded of is turmoil. That it isn't always going to go. COVID's just created new turmoils for us to be frustrated by. Some people are frustrated and won't come to church because we're wearing masks. Other people won't come to church unless you never take your mask off. And we've created a new class society based on a little thing that we put over our face. It's just the latest thing. Before it was, what color pants are you wearing? Or, you know, you can't go to church without wearing a tie. Praise God that era is over. You know? Ladies were supposed to wear skirts and hose. We live in a very different time, but there's always something, and there's always turmoil. And the scariest thing is for me is when I watch my dear friends all of a sudden go on the staff of a church and I go, ooh, this is going to be bad. Because I've been in the underbelly of the church and I know how we treat each other and I, I don't want them to be hurt. And many false prophets will ride and they will lead many astray. So to fit 120 books into the bookshelves, you have to move the books around. And you go through some old books and you go, well, you know, I haven't used that one since 1980. Maybe it's time. But I came across in my cults and false teachings several videos from a a teacher that I used to love to listen to. But all of a sudden... He did a video, and I had it. I should have brought it up. It says, the gods are not angry. And basically, he decided that God loves all of us, and he's not angry with any of us. Okay, Which is really a nice teaching, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful teaching? Except for there's this first chapter of Romans um, that says God is angry, and that the wrath of God is important. It's a part of his judgment. But there's always going to be false teachers. You need to be aware of that. You need to, to be careful. Uh, I can get drawn in. That, that was always my greatest concern as a youth pastor, is that I knew all my teenagers were going to go away, and they loved their youth group, and they loved the kumbaya nature of it, and they loved how we were a family together. And what, what they were going to go look for wasn't another church that taught the truth. They were going to look for another place where they felt comfortable. And I knew that if they made that as their one goal, they were going to be in trouble, right? Because there's a lot of well-meaning people that don't teach the truth. So it goes full circle. One day, 
Chad and Holly come back into town and and they grew up in the youth group and now they're looking for a church because now they're married and they have careers and so they call me up and say, hey Pastor Jim, can we get together? And I said, that'd be awesome. I'd like to find out how you're doing. And they said, well, we need to interview you. Well, why do you need to interview me? Well, because we're trying to pick a church and we want to make sure that you stand for the right things. At first I was like, what is this all about? I taught you how to do this. But I was actually excited that they were going to sit down and that they had decided that more important than finding a place where they just were comfortable, they wanted to find a place that taught what they truly believed. Because there's going to be false teachers. They're always going to be in the mix. And you know what is true of the earliest false teachers? When I read the stories about some of them, they were just well-meaning people that were trying to explain things. But in the process of simplifying God's word, they created heresy. The word of God also says that, and because of lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. You know what? Lawlessness is increasing right now, isn't it? We live in a country right now where we're talking about defunding the police and we've decided that every police force has problems. Well, it probably does because of sin, so we shouldn't be surprised. But there is this sense of a lack of hope for the rest of us. And, and it's interesting, we got together and we prayed yesterday, we were praying for our country, and you know what was really on my heart? Is that we're taking sides right now. And when we take sides, there are people that are always the enemy, aren't there? You know? You, you, you watch that. It can happen at work. It can happen in play. It certainly can happen in politics and all these different areas. And so in this room, there may be people that don't all vote for the same person. And they're going to get on their hands and knees. And they're going to go before God. I hope every one of you goes before God before Tuesday and prays about who you're going to vote for. But you might not all end up voting for the same person. And all of a sudden, we could use that to divide us instead of trusting the God that's inside of us as we make these decisions. Because whenever we divide people, we create teams, and there's two kinds of teams. There's winning teams, and there's losing teams. And whatever team we're on, we're the winners, right? And that makes everybody else a loser. And when you see everyone else as losers, you're not loving them. Love can grow cold because we're surprised by the controversy instead of realizing it's just a part of life. If we took everything really personally, we should never be a parent, right? Because I don't think there are many kids that lay in bed at night saying, how can I mess with mom and dad tomorrow? Even though they do. Even though they make decisions and sometimes they hurt us deeply, they weren't thinking about us when they were making those decisions. Number eight is interesting. It says this, 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. Did you know that right now in Iran, there's a growing gospel church? And that it is multiplying right now much stronger than the American church? Why? Because one of the other consequences is is that the gospel itself can be so attractive that even in the craziest of circumstances, even though it means no sense whatsoever, there are people that are going to say, Jesus makes sense and I want him to be my Savior. So what is Jesus Christ telling us? He, he was laying out this idea, okay, the temple time is over. That, that form is over. It's, it's done. I'm walking away from it. When he meets with his disciples, he says, I'm going to start a new thing, right? A new covenant. A new thing. But he, but he says not only that, but there's a reward. But the one who endures to the end will be saved and so god's calling us to endure even though we see these things taking place around us the false christs the rumors of war the famine and earthquakes the persecution and death the turmoil inside the church the false prophets inside the church lawlessness lovelessness the gospel is spreading And if we will endure, there's a promise for us at the end. So what is the gospel? What is this great truth? What did Jesus walk away from? Jesus walked away from a system that reminded people on a regular basis of what was wrong with them. And he died for everything that was wrong with them. That's what he did. He allowed Himself to be the punishment for our sins, to be the perfect sacrifice, so no longer were the other sacrifices needed at all. Why? Because He was now the sacrifice. No longer did they need other lambs because He was the perfect lamb. And no longer did they need the temple. Do you know why? Because we are the temple. But you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And the thing that's so interesting to me is that because of so many of these other things, people are not making a decision about Jesus. Saying, well, you know, the church is just so messed up. I can't follow that. Well, we're not asking you to follow the church. We're asking you to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And the church is not the excuse for what you're going to do with Jesus. Every one of us has to come to a point in our life when we decide whether or not we need a Savior. We have to decide whether or not we want God's forgiveness. We have to decide whether or not we want to be like the people of Jerusalem that were stiff-necked and would not listen to what God had to say to them or we were going to accept and surrender to the truth. The truth is this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not die, but would have eternal life. That's the truth. John 3, verse
verse 16. If you've not asked Jesus to be your Savior, this would be a good day to do that. It's as simple as praying a prayer that says, Dear God, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I ask you to be my Savior, and I'm going to trust in you to be my Lord. That's how simple it is. But for the rest of us, we need to realize that these signs that we see around us are just a reminder that the temple's gone and Jesus is coming eventually, but they're not the the trigger signs. Over the next two weeks, we'll talk about the trigger signs that are like, oh, when I see that sign, that, that matters. That's important. That's not just a sign to remind me that I'm living in the birth pangs before the birth of my new life in heaven. Let's pray. Dear God, forgive me because I don't feel the urgency of this message enough. I don't always live to endure. And so I pray for our stamina today as believers. I pray that you would grow our stamina and that you would help us have the power that we need to be the followers we're supposed to be of you. God, I pray that you would keep us from lawlessness and lovelessness. God, it's hard to always love. And so we pray that you would take whatever is hard in our heart and you would replace it with compassion and flesh. And that God, as a forgiven people, we would, we would be more forgiving and more compassionate and less surprised. And that God, we wouldn't let anything divide us. God, that we would stand firm for your truth and that we would be your people. God, so much was built around temple worship, temple sacrifice, holidays, remembrances. But that all changed when you died on the cross for us. You gave us new things to remember. And so God, as we enter into this time of remembering, help us to reflect on everything that's true in our relationship with you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I think that taking communion today is very appropriate as a way to end this service. Because it's a reminder of what Jesus Christ walked towards. He didn't walk away from the temple. He walked towards something, didn't he? And what he walked towards was the cross. What he walked towards was the opportunity for all of us to be forgiven by God so we could have relationship with him. Now there are communion cups in the back if you don't have one yet. We always start communion this way. We start communion by taking an opportunity to reflect 
And I think that the verses of Scripture from today are important. That we need to reflect to make sure that we are seeking out that reward that He spoke of. That we are seeking to endure so that we can live as saved people to the end. And so as we reflect in this first couple minutes together, I encourage you to ask God two questions. How am I doing? God, how are we doing? And then the next question is, is how can this continue to be more meaningful to me each day? So, we have a habit of waiting on one another. It's not exactly the easiest way to do a live stream, but it's what I truly believe is best. And so, when you're ready to take up communion, I want you to look up at me. But until you're ready, I want you to bow your heads and pray and speak to your God to examine your heart so that you can be ready to partake of communion together today. Let's reflect and allow our hearts to be ready to receive the communion of the Lord today. I think if we're honest today, we can say that we're starting to live in a world that is more hate-driven than ever before. And yet, 
this isn't a new idea. That's what put Jesus Christ on the cross. The religious leaders at the time, instead of hearing the truth of what God was saying through the prophets and even Christ's words to them, rejected the fact that they were losing their position. And every time he stood, they just hated him more. But Jesus Christ knew the only solution for that hate was his salvation through the cross. Hate put him on the cross, but he stayed on the cross to redeem the hate that put him there. Isn't that interesting? And the key word, you've heard me say it before, is willing. Jesus Christ was willing to do that for us. He didn't end up there. Hate didn't put him there. He allowed himself to be put there because he wanted to be the sacrifice that would make a difference for us. This is the body of Jesus Christ that was willing to be sacrificed for you. Do this in remembrance of him. I am so glad that Jesus walked away from the temple because I'm glad that that system's obsolete. Because Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice and he did something different. A regular sacrifice covered sin to that point. There was an expiration date on it. Then he had to go back and do it again. There's no expiration date on the cross, people. Because the cross doesn't cover our sin. The cross washes our sin away. So even though we still live in this sinful body and we make sinful choices every day, we're not seen any longer as the sinful people we are. We're seen through the righteousness of Christ because of His sacrifice and willingness to take our punishment. This cup represents the blood that washed away your sin. Do this in remembrance of Him. So the signs, none of them surprise us. We can see them every day. We can check them off. But we're called to endure because there's other signs that talk about something great, that Jesus is coming again. And when Jesus comes again, this meal will be obsolete. And it will be replaced by the wedding feast of the Lamb. May you find great hope in your waiting. And may you look with anticipation to the great wedding banquet when we will sit as Jesus Christ's bride when he comes again to get us. God bless you as you leave. Have a great day.